If you think I've been forcing the fruit motif these past few Sundays, all I can say is, read the lessons and weep. <laughs> or on the other hand, read them and rejoice, because they abound with fruit. Today's epistle lesson from the beginning of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians begins, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. I want to pause here just for a minute to say how incredible it is that here in Princeton, New Jersey, in 2022, we are reading in modern English a letter written in Greek by one of the apostles to the Christian community in the city of Colossae in the first century, in what is today Western Turkey. We're reading the nearly 2,000-year-old mail of the apostles to the earliest Christian churches, recorded, copied, and handed on to us by generations of Christians between then and now. Imagine finding such a document in a box in your attic, or even as part of an archaeological expedition in what was once the Roman Empire. Finding a document like Paul's letter to the Colossians would be an instant international sensation. And here, we will be reading it routinely as part of our lectionary cycle for the next several Sundays. That is amazing. Now, getting back to Paul's letter, he continues, In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. And then Paul says this, which I'm not making up. Just as it is bearing fruit, growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. What was it that Paul thought important enough to write to the Christians in Colossae about? About how thankful he is for them and for the gospel bearing fruit among them. And Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to say in verses 9 and 10, For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. Paul is obviously excited about how the gospel is changing the Colossians, causing them to abound in good works and nurturing in them the knowledge of God. And by God's power, Paul prays, they will be strengthened and prepared to endure everything with patience, giving thanks to God the Father, who has rescued them and us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
That is the good news that is bearing fruit among the Colossians. That God the Father has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's good news bearing good fruit, and it changes our whole outlook on life. No longer are we prisoners with nothing to look forward to but captivity, slavery, and perdition. We've been redeemed. We've been brought back. We wandered off and were captured by sin and death. But God came after us and rescued us. We are freed hostages, removed from the kingdom of our captors, and returned home, sins forgiven, to live in freedom. That is the sort of news that changes people and bears fruit. What fruit? Help me out. Let's see if we can remember. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's fruit that's born within and without. It changes our perspective internally and enables us to endure hardship with patience and even with joy. It also changes how we treat one another, seeing each other as fellow rescued hostages on the same side and as neighbors to be helped rather than as competitors to be exploited for our own benefit, or even as enemies to be conquered. In his parable of the Good Samaritan from our Gospel lesson, Jesus gives us a glimpse of love, kindness, generosity, and gentleness. But from an unexpected perspective, Jesus tells the parable recorded in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, in a response to a question from a lawyer who, like Jesus, was Jewish. The lawyer asks Jesus a couple of questions. First, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And second, and who is my neighbor? Luke 10, verse 29 tells us that the lawyer wanted to justify himself. He wanted, to, he wanted Jesus to give him a formula that he could carry out to gain eternal life. What must I do, he asks Jesus. But Jesus, knowing that asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is a little like asking, what must I do to become the Queen of England? It's not something that you do. It's something that someone else does for you. So Jesus does not tell the lawyer a morality tale about being kind to strangers, or even Samaritans, whom Orthodox Jews considered heretics not to be mingled with. Jesus does not say, even the Samaritans are your neighbors. Do something nice for a Samaritan today. Instead, Jesus tells a story in which a man from Jerusalem with whom the lawyer could identify, is a helpless victim of a violent robbery. He was powerless to help himself, let alone anyone else. He wasn't in a position to do anything. He could only receive the hospitality and kindness of strangers. 
the parable was Jesus' gentle way of showing the lawyer that he was confused and that his question just did not make sense. Our role in inheriting eternal life is roughly that of the role of the victim in the parable. That is just about nil. We are not in a position to justify ourselves. Like the Good Samaritan, God does that for us. And in telling the parable, Jesus not only changes our perspective on justification and eternal life, but also, in the same story, illustrates in the example of the saving Samaritan some of the fruit of hearing such a story. Namely, love, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness. The lawyer wanted Jesus to tell him how much fruit he needed to produce in order to inherit eternal life. Instead, Jesus told him a story of salvation in which fruit featured and featured prominently, but was not the point. It's a story that we need to hear as much as that lawyer did. For we too get our ends and our means mixed up. We too want to justify ourselves. We want to make the gospel all about the fruit that we produce and about how to make our society more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, and kind, which of course is a laudable goal. But it isn't the gospel. It's the fruit of faith in the gospel. And however precious the fruit is, the gospel is infinitely more so. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When we're connected to the vine, meeting together to feed on God's word and sacraments, we are going to bear fruit. Resolving by our own willpower to be kinder and gentler without that nourishment is folly. It's like breaking off a branch from a tree and expecting it to bear fruit. Moral improvement is important. But Jesus is our focus. Connected to him in faith, we can count on the Holy Spirit to bear its fruit in us for the good of the world.